Hi, I'm Andy Psarianos. Hi, I'm Robin Potter. Hi, I'm Adam Gifford. This is the School of School podcast. Are you a math teacher looking for an assessment tool that can give you a detailed look into learner or class achievement? With Insights, it's all in one place. Make sense of assessment data so you can strategically plan and teach lessons. Insights, it's assessment for advancement. Visit mathsnoproblem.com for more information. Welcome back. It's another episode of the School of School podcast. Welcome, Andy. Welcome, Robin. Robin, regular guest now, eh? This is great stuff. Hey, how about that? Yeah, it's awesome. That's really good. Today is, well, what we're going to be talking about today is boundaries, okay? Are they, well, why are they so difficult to set, or are they, for teachers and as parents, you know? And, and, and what role do boundaries play in schools and homes? So I know that both of you are parents, so boundaries where you're at with them well okay what do you mean by boundaries adam like first of all what are we talking about well okay so 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 i think that boundaries are uh, where certain behaviors extend in different ways so uh let's say boundaries of or in a classroom boundaries of noise boundaries of moving around uh boundaries of physical play uh boundaries of yeah, those sorts of things. Okay, so let me let me tell you a little story maybe, right? So about three years ago, um, went off and um, started recording. And so it was, this is a course that I've been working on for a long time, and it's not ready yet, uh, but it will be, and we'll be on the Master Problem Academy when it's done. And it's a course on lesson study, right? And what we did um, was we filmed anywhere from three to six lesson studies in individual schools across multiple schools across the UK in different kind of, uh, you know, different segments of the education center, all at primary schools, all roughly the same age groups. But when I say segments, what I mean is like some really challenging environments where, you know, a lot of poverty or whatever versus some more, you know, um, schools with uh, cohorts that were coming from, you know, more, let's say, fortunate families where there was money, there was big careers, great professionals, parents and all that kind of stuff, right? Fortunate, the right word, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. So, and we, we did all this. And, you know, there's the one thing that stuck with me from all that lessons. I've never done such a concentrated amount of observation, lesson study in a formal way, right? And we're talking about watching hundreds and hundreds of children in the classroom and seeing how they learn. And the most fascinating thing about it was, was for the first time, it was crystal clear to me how important classroom structures were, right? Like, like that we don't talk about it very much, but um, the classrooms that were working really, really well, they all seemed, the children knew what to do. Do you know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of time wasted with like, okay, kids, let's go get your workbooks from the shelves over there. And then, the, you know, with a bunch of six-year-olds, that could be, that could turn into a half hour activity, right? Sure, sure. If it's not structured. But when, when, when things were structured, that could happen really quickly, 
right? And that's what that was structured. And those classroom structures were really important. So on one end, that that was, you know, that was really interesting to me. The other thing was that the discipline of setting particular expectations from the students and that them knowing what those expectations are allowed some students who would otherwise not be able to partake in a lesson were now partaking because... So um, let me give you an example. There's one girl that stands out really in my mind. She came from a refugee family recently. Very, very, very hard, difficult upbringing. She's about, I'm going to say she's about eight or nine years old, right? Now you can imagine the atrocities that this child has seen. She's sitting now in an English classroom. She knows enough English to get by, but her whole life she's been told, you don't have a voice. Nobody cares what your opinion is and you're best off just staying quiet and not interfering with anything that's going on. That's, that's, that's her whole, that's everything that she's learned up until that point, right? Mm -hmm. But the classroom, this school was so good. The classroom was set up in a way that maybe that was the only place in her life where she could have a voice and her opinion mattered, right? And that was only because of the way the classroom was structured. So those are, I know those are fringe cases. I know they're fringe cases, but I just thought I'd give you that because that's a... Yeah, but, but I'm not sure they are fringe. That, that might be fringe in terms of... Extremity. Like her experience and that, that particular child. But what I would say is true of every classroom that I've been in and taught in and, and observed, but, you know, the, the, the teaching in, is what you've described where the children know what to expect. There's no, there's no surprises. They know what to do. They know what to expect. They know what they're getting every day. There's a consistency there that when I turn up, now I think we do see it, the, the sort of most significant impact are those children that say come from chaotic homes where they don't know what to expect. They don't know if mum or dad's going to be in a good mood. They don't know whether they should say anything at the dinner table or not, those sorts of things. You, you, you sometimes see, especially if you know some of that backstory mm. as well, if you've been involved in the, in the lives of these children and in, in, in that sphere as well, that it's a profound effect for, for many of these children. And often you really want them in the classrooms where those expectations and that consistency of expectation is there. Because I think, it, I think you can argue it would be detrimental, like massively detrimental not, it's not a neutral thing, them coming to school where it's not there, that those children will go backwards. But I think that that's where it's most obvious. But I think for, for everyone, you know, like if, if we're dealing with people and we don't know how they're going to react, you know, is this a good day or is it not? That's scary. That's scary for all of us. That's scary as children. That's scary as adults. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that the difference being as adults, we might be able to say something. Children don't. You know, they, want to, they just want to comply. So they just want to make the teacher as happy as possible. They want to make the people around them as happy as possible. But if they're second guessing how to make that teacher happy or what they should be doing, that's exhausting, man. Like, you know, yeah. that, that, that's the flip side to it. So then the question is, do the boundaries start at home or 
could they start at school, depending on the situation? You, you know, you mentioned some kids don't have any structure or boundaries at home. So could the school help with setting and creating those habits? Or well, should it always start think, at home? Yeah. You know? No, no, because you can't rely on it at home. You, you can't, like, like of course, that, so I always think it's like a toolkit, right? So some children... I'll give you a quick example. This is a true example. I won't name any names or anything like that. But in New Zealand, there's some really well-established gangs, okay? Like, like that's sort of part of society. If you mention certain gangs, that, that everyone knows it. Everyone who lives in New Zealand knows them. And I had a, a, a boy in my class who whose family were in the gangs. They'd move from house to house to house. It was chaos, proper chaos. And he just, it was a shame because we got moved out of a classroom, it was being renovated and we were in a big hall. So that change of structure really freaked him out. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't good for him. And anyway, he ended up doing something and he actually got sort of uh, suspended from school for a day. Now keep in mind, th- th- this was towards the end of the year and we'd not... Uh, I tried to get his, any any member of his family or extended family in to talk about some of the issues that we we're facing. When he got uh, suspended, I counted them. Fifteen members of the extended family came down to carry him out on their shoulders because they were so proud because it was his first school exclusion. Hmm. Now you cannot, you cannot. When you've got that, if that's if that's the kind of level of expectation. It, it has to be solely on the school in that case. It's kind of another extreme case like the, the girl you're talking about, Andy, but different. Yeah, yeah. It, it has to rely on the school to be consistent regardless. And yeah, some children will come in with tools that make them make it easy. But I think for all children, they just need to know what they're getting when they come in every single time. Mm. Otherwise, it's just too, you know, you, you just, why would you want to come in? It'd be too scary. These are some of the challenges that we don't discuss enough about, you know, b- being a teacher or being an educator or, or just being someone who's responsible, could even be social workers, who's responsible for someone where their value system or your value system is different than the value system that, that, that they have at home. And now you have got a conflict because it might be on religious grounds, it might be on just you know, whatever grounds, right? Just, and you're, you're, you're basically, what do you say to them? Because you can't say, don't listen to your parents, they're wrong. That's, you know, you can't do that, mm-hmm. right? No. So what do you do? You know, my parents say this, you're telling me that there's conflict in the child, right? They're growing up in a conflicted, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? What do you do? Look, I just think fundamentally, right? The things that are most important for me as a teacher, and, and I'm, I still consider myself a teacher first and foremost. But that, that, that's that's kind of what runs through my blood is is a is, is I'm a I'm a teacher at heart, and and I think that the things that that where the classrooms have worked the best, and I think that I've been the best for the children mm. and helped them get the best out of themselves for the majority of kids. Right, I'm not delusional. I know it didn't work for everyone, but I think what was really important to me is that. I genuinely cared about them all. I was genuinely interested in them all. I think that they needed to be kind to one another. I think that they needed to be able to be honest. 
And I think that if I was consistent in all of those things, so I lived yeah. it, and, and they genuinely knew that I listened to them or I cared about them or those sorts of things, but they also knew from really, really early on. I used to say this to my children all the time in the classroom. I don't have, I'm not I'm not a classroom with a list of rules. I'm, you know, like one to 20, we shall not do this, da 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 and I just I just make it really clear to them, you know, like these are these are sort of the the basic things in our classroom. But I will not move on them. That this you will never ever ever find me moving on them. And it didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't matter what the circumstances. Well, these are the things that I stay true to, and and we're all going to get along famously. And I think once they learn to believe that, then then you're on the way. But but coming back to your point, Andy, like that boy that I'm thinking about. That this was they were a wee bit older when I was teaching these children, so these guys were about thirteen. I think by that stage, um, it was too difficult for the school, even even with massive amounts of consistency and care and those sorts of things. I think that the influence was too great at that stage for the school. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else could have been done. I don't know what else I could have done as a teacher, but it was it was beyond my beyond me. It was beyond what I could do. Yeah, because kids at certain age start creating their own boundaries, you know, uh, as well. And Andy, you made me think about you know, having different values. And one thing at my house with my kids is we have only a certain amount of screen time. And at a certain time at night, I've set my Wi-Fi to go off. So there's no discussion. There's no, oh... Just, just a second, just just one more minute. One, it just goes off, and so conversation is done. However, uh, I noticed that here in Canada, in British Columbia specifically, that some schools, and in particular some classrooms, allow kids to bring their phones into the classroom, mm-hmm. which to me is hor- horrifying. I don't see the need at all while they're learning at school to also have access to their phone. But... So it's not my value or not, you know, I have a boundary there that I would enforce, uh, but the teacher may have a different idea. Maybe it keeps some kids calm. Maybe they don't mind if they are working away and using their phone too. So that's the challenge. Plus, what if you have more than one teacher? You spend half the afternoon with one and, you know, and one with another, and they have completely different ways of running their class you know, then what? How does that work? Do the kids get it? Do they just fall into line? Well, I think it's hard. I think that, that it, it's it's really difficult because, well, well let, let's just go straight to the top, right? It's a parent's prerogative that if they're not happy with the school, they can take their children out. So so that's, that's one thing. So we've always got, we, you know, we don't have to feel like uh, we, we just have to go along with it. And I always, I always think, because you know, of course, there's things that come up that I'm not saying when I was a teacher that everyone was happy with what I did. But I think the one thing I was really aware of was trying to make those sort of um, core qualities as agnostic as possible. You know, just those things that, that you see across the board. What what does everyone kind of want, whether it's religious or not, or whether it's just you want to, you want good people, honesty, those sorts of things, treated with respect, listened to, cared for, those sorts of things, right? So, so that's what people would kind of expect. I think where that starts to fall down, well, the first thing you do is you have to you have to say something. 
because I think that there's going to be some things that, that are in that grey area, right? That, that they're not wrong, but they don't quite chime with you. You kind of prefer them not to happen. But I think that where people, where, where we must start off is that if those core qualities, if I'm being hypocritical about them, then I'm defenceless. So, so I must be talked about. But I think, I just think talking, I just think, you know, because if, if something's really important for you, we, I'm looking at you here, Robin, on the screen. But if something's really important for you, for your children, as a teacher, I would really expect, you know, that, that it's going to be probably pretty important for the child as well because they're hearing it from you. It's a value you care about. So it's in my best interest to be mindful of that. And if I'm staying true to what I talked about, that I care about that child and I want to get the best out of them because they'll trust me. Right, kids learn far more from teachers they trust, in my experience, then it's in my best interest to listen to you. And it's in my best interest to do something that, um, like I tell you what, in New Zealand, uh, there's that certainly in Maori culture, you don't sit on tables because a table's where you eat. And so you don't put your bum on it. But but I've seen plenty of teachers, when I, again, when I first came to the UK, come up and sit on the table next to the child that they're talking about, right? I think it's just being mindful of, of, of things like that, that that can make a really big difference. Mm. And so, you know, I, I just think it's, but, but teachers have got to be willing to listen. And likewise, I, I suppose parents have got to be willing to listen to teachers. And there's one thing I have to say in amongst all of this, is that it's infinitely easier setting boundaries and sticking to them in a school than it is as a parent, in my yeah. experience. You know, I can have 430 children in the palm of my hand. Easy peasy. <laughs> Getting my children to spend two more minutes on homework or something, man, that's like the Krypton fact. It's like <laughs> mission impossible. So I just wanted to, to stress that fact before people start pointing at the, 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 the listening devices and going, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, a, a whole lot easier in schools than it is at home. There's a formality at school, right? There's like... You know, home is a very different, it's a personal relationship. It can't be anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And kids set their own boundaries too, I think. And they do. And that's important. You know, it's not just coming from the parent. And it's, and, and that could be a classroom idea as well is, you know, engage your students and encourage them to help with setting those rules of the classroom, those boundaries of the classroom. And, uh, and more likely, they may follow them. <laughs> Man, teaching's so hard. Why would anybody want to be a teacher? Because they're good at it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the School of School podcast. 